And I usually do this kind of teaching in smaller groups, but uh, I just thought, I, I think you need to hear some what we call systematic theology, or, and that's why I, I hate it that I take you to so many verses, but that's kind of what you do when you systematize the truth in Scripture. What does all of the Bible say on it? And I want to give you uh, eight reasons today, or eight ways the Bible is said to be sufficient, that the Bible is sufficient for our faith and practice. Now, that sounds so simple to you because you're in a Bible church, but um, if you study the Reformation, by the time we came to 1500s and we came to Martin Luther, a, a teaching had evolved that still exists in Catholicism that says the scriptures and church tradition are our authority, okay? Scripture, church tradition. Scripture and what the popes say or what a church council may decree, uh, and so that you had two authorities going, what the church said and what the Bible said. You had this also in Judaism when Christ was on the earth. He said, uh, you to the Pharisees, you've added your traditions to the Word of God. And you've undone the Word of God. And he gave a, a heartbreaking example. He said, uh, your mother and father come to you because they're in need. And you see them coming. And while they're on their way to you, you start saying, Corbin, Corbin which meant it's a gift to God. Dad, I would help you, but I've dedicated my money to help God out at the temple. See, God, so I don't have to help you. Do you think they gave it to the temple? No, they made a tradition to get out of obeying. Uh, today, I think some of the dangers we have is when we talk about modern-day prophets or uh, a modern-day word, uh, Say, wait, wait, uh, what am I to govern my life on? What determines what I believe and what I am to practice? And uh, I was in circles that you would follow sometimes an evangelist because you hoped you would get a word from God. And so where do you get a word from God? Would, uh, maybe the horoscope. Uh, whatever. Uh, so we're looking at why God gave his word and what it's sufficient to do. And probably next week we'll look at Psalms 19 along with 2 Timothy. We'll be more in the text. But today I've got a series. Pardon me for you having to break in your Bible. Turn everywhere. Uh, eight things the Bible is sufficient to do for you. Number one, it's sufficient to cleanse you. When you read John 17, 17, Christ is praying in the upper room. He prays this prayer. Father, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. truth. Thy word is truth. Sanctify them. What does that mean? Set them apart for sacred use. And he goes on to say, 
as you sanctified me, Father, and Christ was sinless, but you set him apart for service. The word of God is a means that God uses to cleanse our heart. He said in Ephesians 5, Jesus Christ cleanses his church by the washing of the word. The word acts like a cleanser. Now, James 1 said it's like a mirror that when you look, and he said those who casually take the Bible, they do this stuff. They're down the road. But he said the man that's changed by the Bible, he, he looks at it a long time, a long time. You know, this morning it took me 15 minutes to get ready. It took Carolyn an hour. Why does it take women longer? Because I'm okay. And you want to say, have you looked in the mirror lately? <laughs> and sometimes, really, my wife, we, we've been married a long time, she'll say, that won't go, that won't do. I said, I've been dressing myself for years. Yeah, that's your problem. I said that doesn't look good. You, you need to straighten that out. Do you notice your hair? I'm Okay. God accepts me, I know, but God's gracious. <laughs> you need to change this, you need to change that. And you just know it's a given. He said, man, you stay in there a long time. I'm paying attention to the mirror. And some of you need to stay in front of the mirror longer. But guess what? After you see the dirt, don't leave dirty. You ought to take a bar of soap and wash and that's what he says, my word is like. It's the mirror, and it's all the cleansing agent. It will scrub out of you those attitudes, those sins that keep you from being used of God. You remember this verse, 2 Timothy 2.19, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Let him that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. It doesn't stop there. Verse 20 goes on to say, he said, for to be a vessel fit for the master's use, you must cleanse yourself from the sins I just mentioned. The reason some of you aren't being used of God, you refuse to get clean. I grew up with a phrase, as I grew up, the Holy Spirit won't indwell an unclean vessel. That's not true. He indwells an unclean vessel. It's very unlikely he'll use you, though. Does the Holy Spirit indwell you while you're sinning? I'm listening. Let's have a vote. How many say no? Whew, good. How many say he's still there even when I'm sinning? Is God using me while I'm sinning? No. And what is sin? Anytime I prefer anything over what God wants me to do. Anytime I have a preference, preferential treatment of something I want to do that God doesn't want, I've sinned. So we need the Word of God to cleanse us, cleanse us, cleanse us. Uh, according to 1 Peter, that the newborn child of God grows on the Bible. Uh, and, and he's grown like, he says, he's like a newborn babe who desires the sincere milk of the Word. This is 1 Peter 2. Lay aside the sin and take on this attitude of a newborn babe. 
You never have to teach a baby to have an appetite if they're healthy. If there's sickness, that appetite will go. We know even in adults, something's wrong when you're losing your appetite. And you don't want to eat anymore, you could be in decline. But he says, we grow, and he calls it the sincere milk of the word. That's where we begin. And then we graduate, as you read scripture, to feed on the meat of the word. What's the difference between milk and meat? I think it's basically this, that milk is food that's been digested for you. The cow, the mother, she eats the food, the baby gets the milk. But mama's body did the work, did the digesting, assimilated it in her body so that she can nurse that child, okay? The cow chews the cud and goes through the process. Then we get the milk. And so primarily, a lot of times, the milk is food that someone else has digested, and they pass it on to you. They're teaching you basic elementary truths and, and helping get you established. And so you need the milk. Where do I start? Where Meat, you've got to do your own digestion. You've got to assimilate it. You've got to masticate it, break it down, assimilate it, and it becomes a part of your life. And you need it. You need the protein. You need to do that. Now, I ask you, have you ever got where you can feed yourself on the Bible? Are you still dependent on someone digesting it for you, handing it to you, but you've never done the work of digesting it for yourself. So he says, as a newborn babe in Christ, one of the first things that tells me a person is born again, they've got an appetite for God's Word. They, they don't know anything, but they've got the appetite. Have you ever had to try to have a Bible study with someone that had no appetite? Have you ever tried to feed somebody without an appetite? Most of you are doing pretty good. I know my dad was, he's big on sugar, but he, he would always tell, do not eat dessert before dinner. My wife and I go out sometime, she loves a certain milkshake. And I said, don't eat that now, you won't have any appetite. She said, don't worry about it. I got it covered. <laughs> you know, but I was taught, I saved the milkshake after the main course because I was taught and I found out sugar will ruin your appetite many times. And many people come to church and they've eaten cotton candy all week. And they fed themselves on the nothingness of this world and there's no appetite. They're just hoping it's a short sermon. What, what about an appetite? And he says that the Word of God, if you bring the appetite, He will cause you to grow by it. He said in Romans 10, 13, a, uh, it's 10, 17, really, misprint there, that faith cometh by hearing and hearing the Word of God. And the faith in that context was the faith to be saved. Because he said in verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All right? I, I've been struggling with an issue 
and I pass it on to you so you can figure it out for me. As I've been reading the Gospels, Jesus often said, your faith has healed you. Have you ever read that in the Gospels? Your faith has made you whole. That kind of bugs me. I, I I'm not sure I know what that means quite. There's one of two ways I could take it. One is you have the subjective attitude that pleases God, and he's going to respond to you. And, and I think that's you. We walk by faith. Uh, it's an attitude of faith, and that's subjective. So I'm asking in the Gospels, are you saying that this leper or this sick person, um, they have the quality of faith, uh, there's something subjectively in them that warrants or brings out your healing. And that may, that may be it exactly. I'm not saying, uh, I'm wrestling. Because at times I see verses that I get the feeling it's more he's saying, your object of faith being me, give example, Peter is drowning on the Sea of Galilee. He walks out there, begins to look at the waves. He begins to drown. And what does he say? Lord, save me. Now, was it his faith or his Lord? Go ahead, pray about it. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Was it his, he, all of a sudden he had a big burst of faith? Or did he finally get his eyes off the wave to the Lord? Faith has two parts, the subjective attitude and the objective source you're trusting. Now, hear me. Faith in faith will never save you. Faith in faith doesn't save. You can have a ton of faith. They, they have faith in what? In what? As a lot of folks believe their religion stronger than you believe yours. They practice it better than we practice ours. A lot of that. But what really, and so when I hear the gospel in Romans 10, faith comes, comes by hearing the word of God. What's he saying? He's pointing me in the gospel to the source that can save me. He's pointing me to the gospel. Here is a resting place for your faith. It's not just subjective, but my, what's the old song? My faith has found a resting place. I'm anchored in him. It's the object of my faith that I'm counting on, not the size of my faith. How big is a mustard seed? What was Jesus trying to say to him? If you have this, I mean, have you, the gals used to wear this jewelry. Have you, how many of you ever seen a mustard seed? I mean, it's, that's his way of saying, if you nearly have nothing but believe the right source, you believe in God, God does great things for people who simply believe him, and it's not their great faith. Sometimes he said of Abraham, his faith waxed strong. So there is strong faith, there's weak faith. 
But I think here that when I hear the Word of God, what it really does, it increases my object and it straightens me. What are you trusting in the circumstances? Who are you trusting, Peter, when you're drowning? Uh, and maybe I grow in the subjective. We should all be growing in faith. I don't want to put that down. But it's a combination. Who am I trusting? And just simply, are you trusting him? Are you trusting him? God's been singing a song to me for about three or four weeks. My father taught it to me. It's a little chorus, but he's been singing it to me for a week. God, I can't go anywhere without it coming up. It's, have you ever heard of songs of the Spirit? You ever have God sing to you? Zechariah, or Zephaniah 3.17, he said, I'll sing over you. And this song's been going over my mind. God is still on the throne, and he will not forsake his own. His promise is true. He will not forsake you. God is still on the throne. God's been singing that to me for a month. Every time I'm going somewhere, God is still on the throne, and he will not forsake his own. His promise is true. He will not forsake you. God is still on the throne. That's the object of my faith. Because some days I say, I don't feel strong in faith. I feel like I'm in the mully grubs, whatever that is. I don't feel strong in faith. I don't feel, I don't feel up, down, whatever. Who cares? Who's the object of your trust? That's what matters. And the Word of God keeps pointing you to the Father keeps pointing you to God, pointing you away from yourself to your God. First Peter says, you were born again by the seed of the word, that God helped to regenerate you by means of his word. Somehow, when God is bringing someone to new life in Christ, his word has a germinating effect in their heart to bring conviction, to bring hope, to, to know where to look. Where can I look to be saved? Where do I turn? His word. That's why we've got to watch in the church that we don't program it with a hundred things that God won't use to change a life. Churches gather programs like a dog does fleas. Programs, programs, programs. Say, do you have any Bible studies? Anybody cracking this book? Anybody looking at what God saves, saves through an implanted word. Are we planting it in your children? You would do yourself a favor. Take a one-week tech fast. Forbid any other tech in your house so you can just talk to those darling children that are going to leave your roof before you get sneezed twice. They'll be gone. I talked to a man gal's going to be going to a college away, and I said, man, I'm scared of these public uh, colleges, all that's going on. So, said, well, I've already taught, and that's, that's as it may be, and he meant that. But I just think, who's talking to our kids the most, the text or the parent, TV or God? And we know the answer. So, 
keep sharing the message that gives them the right object. Um, look at Hebrews 4.12, what the Word of God does. Have you ever had any insane thoughts? God says insanity is in the heart of every man. Ecclesiastes. You have. I believe in Ecclesiastes, uh, some translate calls it madness, but the idea is out of your mind. Have you ever had any out of your mind thoughts? Are you kidding? Uh, it just felt so good. I just, she looked so good. I just had to do it. How could it be wrong when it feels so good? You're thinking like a crazy man. When did you start living on feeling? You're a wreck. You're a wreck. Listen to what he says in Hebrews 4, 412. For the word of God is boring and dead. What? Living. So have you ever heard anybody, Lord, anoint your word. Don't pray that way. It's already anointed. You're the problem. This book's already anointed. What needs to be anointed is you. You need your eyes illumined. And we're the problem. Well, he said, boy, I ain't getting anything out of the Bible. Well, no telling. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't doubt that. What was your mind on? Well, I was paying bills while I was doing it. I was reading it while I was watching the game. Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to get much. It's alive. It's living. Do you have an ear to hear it? Do, do, are you listening? Are your eyes being turned into ears? And he goes on. Listen to what he says. For the Word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, and the Romans had several. They had the long sword that was usually, boom, one blow, and you had to be quick because that opponent could, could stab you. But then they had short swords sharpened on both sides of the blade, and these were lethal, dangerous. Now, the other had the advantage of length. They could reach you, but if you missed, Watch out, that two-edged sword, bam, you've had it. And he goes on, it's like a two-edged sword, and it pierces to the division of soul and spirit. Then he likens it to, as it were, a butcher, the dividing of joints and marrow. And it is a discerner or a critic. It's the word to critique the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We would say, we say this about each other sometimes. I've got your number. Have you ever heard that? I've got your number. God's saying, I've got your number. I know you. And uh, when he talks about the heart, nobody knows you but God and you. We think we know you. Nobody knows you but God and you. And you don't know each other very good because you act crazy sometimes. And when you talk about the heart, that it's a critic of the heart, if you said the heart of the sea, you're saying the center of the sea. 
Now, when we say the heart of a man, we're not talking about this pump. God, God's not in the business of changing a physical organ. The heart in the Bible is the center of your being where you think, you choose, and you feel. So, your heart, you've got intellect, will, and emotion. And so, when God said, I know your heart, he can say, I know how you're thinking, I know what you're choosing, and I know what you're feeling. I know your heart. Okay. What about my heart, Lord? First of all, I want you to know your heart is desperately wicked apart from me. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Have you ever woke up on those days and, man, uh, I ought to leave my husband, I ought to leave my wife, or that person doesn't like me, this person does, or you, you get craziness going on. You say, where in the world is this coming from? Did you know what? If we locked up the devil, you'd still have crazy thoughts. Your heart. You read Matthew 15. What comes out of the heart? Something's baffling. When you get saved, you get a new heart, but it leaves the residue of the old one. It's still there. It's called the sin principle. I did get a new heart. And, and that's what the prophet said. But I still have the residue left from the old one. Gives me fits once in a while. But he said, the word of God, when I read it, and I'm being illumined by the Spirit, he would say, you're, that's a wrong thinking. You're, you're thinking wrong there. You're, you're wrong about a brother, a situation. Uh, God's forsaken you, or whatever crazy thoughts going to your mind. And then... A negative feeling. Because I feel bad doesn't mean I am bad. Because I feel like God doesn't care doesn't mean God doesn't care. He does care. Where is this coming from? God's word says, I'm cutting right through you. I'm the critic. I'm the discerner. I know what you're thinking. He said in Proverbs 24, that the fool always trusts in his own heart. Whoa. You got, you know, well, I just feel it. I just feel it's that way. Well, what's that got to do with the truth? Well, I'm just sort of feeling this way. You're feeling like backsliding today? Yeah, it just comes over me. You've, you've got to take that feeling by the throat and subject it to the Word of God. There's a story. In Numbers 15, it is a tragic story. It goes this way. On the Sabbath day, you know, it can get cold in the desert. Have you ever been in the desert when it was cold? Well, Israel's out there marching, and at night it really gets cold. But on a Sabbath day, a young Jewish boy starts gathering sticks for a fire. It's reported to Moses. Guess what they do? Moses says, we got a cure for that, stoning. Whoa, that seems a little brutal. Uh, they were not politically correct. Whatever God said, they did. They took the boy, they stoned him. I mean, it seems brutal. But then God said something to Moses. Moses, I want you to change the dress code for the nation. 
Change the dress code. How do you want us to dress, Lord? I want you to put blue tassel right here on the bottom of your robes. Blue tassel. How come? Every time you're tempted to follow your heart and not my word, I want you to be reminded of this boy we just stoned. My word is more precious than a 15-year-old boy collecting wood for a fire. It's Numbers 15. Change the whole dress code of them while they're in the wilderness. I want you to put up reminders. When the devil and your heart are saying, don't do it God's way, don't do it God's way, you, you say, listen to me, listen well, right now, write this point down. Our God is dangerous. Now, you, you don't believe that. God is a dangerous being to be around. Only the cross has given you access. You could be killed in a minute. I just read in the life of David, when they brought the ark back from the Philistines, the men of Beth Shemesh wanted to look in the ark. God told them not to. What was God's response? He killed 50,000 Jewish men for looking in the ark. Who do you think you are, God? I'm God. When I say something, I mean it. You, you've tamed me into a tame Santa Claus. I am to be feared. You would have no access to me if it wasn't for my son. But as grace believers can trivialize with how awesome, fearsome, you remember what he said? Remember, I'm a consuming fire. I'm dangerous to be around unless you want to obey. I give life. I take life. I bring plague. I take away plague. I am no one to be trivialized with. So he says, tell them to dress different so you don't follow your heart, but you follow God's word. That must be our guy. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Let's keep going. The Word of God is the voice of God to us today. Look at what he says in chapter 3, verse 7. The ever-present voice of God. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit is saying, it's a present tense in Greek. He is saying right now, and what he quotes happened 1,500 years ago. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And if you recall, an entire generation were marched to death. Their children got to go in because they didn't think that was possible. But said, your kids will inherit the promised land, but I'm going to kill you because you didn't believe me. Is that brutal? This is the God of the Bible. He didn't ask for our approval. Just know this is the way he is. He's awesome. 
I will not let you see the promised land because you murmured, you tested me, you didn't believe me, you grumbled from the time of the Red Sea till the time when you wanted to kill Moses. I'm fed up with what you've done. You will not get the promise. But I'll keep the promise, but I'll keep it to your children. Does that scare you sometimes? If we don't believe God in our day, God may not do it for us, but he'll raise up a people he will do it for. If you don't believe God, it won't change God, but it's going to change what happens in your life. Watch. Take care, brothers, lest there be in you, any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. I thought all believers finish well. Here he's warning them, don't fall away from the living God. Listen to me. We talk eternal security. Let me tell you how they talked in the Reformation. This was the doctrine, not eternal security. All who have truly been saved by the grace of God will get evidence that they've been saved by the fact they persevered to the end. They may be tempted. They may backslide. They may stray. They may have to repent. But the true sheep will say, I can't stay here. I know the shepherd's voice. I repent. And we're known because we persevere through thick and thin. That's the biblical doctrine. Not, I've got saved. I'm now going to backslide, live like hell, and keep claiming I'm going to heaven. Nope. It's not in the Bible. And we, I see believers, well, I think they're saved because, you know, in junior church, they raise their hand. I w- don't please that doesn't save. You mean the saved quit living like they're saved? And you still call them saved? Not, not the New Testament. We're going to deal with you. I've had people come to this church that have fled from God, and I was so glad I didn't have to do the funeral because I had no assurance they were in heaven. And there were deacons, and there were officers, and there were this and that. You measured how did they end their race. Will you finish the race? And that's what he's warning them. You started, you made a profession, and now I'm talking to you. I'm warning you about your history. I'm afraid that you've got an evil heart. You're going to quit believing God. And the evidence of this, you're going to fall away. And then he says, let me tell you, believers, what you can do to help other believers finish. We need each other in the race. And watch what he tells them. But exhort one another, encourage one another. Once a month, every Sunday, what what, what does your say? He, he can't mean it, can he? You know, you only need church once a week. I, can't, I don't need to be hearing the Word of God all the time. I'm a strong boy. No, you're not. You're going to be a deceived boy. But he's telling the church, encourage one another every day. Let me ask you, will you encourage anyone today to live for God? Today. 
Then let me ask you this. Who did you encourage last week? See, I grew up in church. We had testimony services. Anybody remember those? And let me tell you, sometimes they weren't too, too encouraging. Sister Smith had the same ailment every week, you know, and we'd hear the same story. I'm saved, sanctified, pray, I'll go all the way. Well, okay. But how about stand up with the word? My father taught me. But remember, he's an old fogey Christian. He was a Bible-loving kind, one of those weird ones. He said, don't go to church without a verse. Don't go to church, and if they have testimony service, quote a verse, don't tell them that you've got athlete's foot. Tell them a verse. A verse. A verse a day will help keep the devil away. Do you know how to encourage anyone to live for God? I'm asking you. I want you to answer that. Because you can't obey the verse if you don't know how. Well, I just live it my life. No, no, this is verbal. This is verbal. You got to say it. Don't tell me you love me in your heart and you don't say it. It's not my way. Well, it's God's way. God didn't just sit on the throne and say, well, I love him, but I'm not going to do a thing about him. I'm not going to talk to him. I'm not going to give my son, but I love you in my heart. Oh, my. You know, if you love me in your heart, you don't tell me. It's like winking to your girlfriend in the dark. It doesn't do much good. You, that's what he says. This is the word. Will you change your style for the word? Will the word determine what you do daily? And that means you quit griping. You quit saying anything negative that would discourage a believer. Hey, you're not always pampering. You're not having them sugar if you handle, hey, brother, I got a word from God for you. And I don't need you to start acting like you're a prophet. Can you tell me what God said? And he said, tell them, tell them, because they're falling away, falling away. Sometimes I'll, I'll see a believer missing, or, and, and I'll inquire, and I'll find out from some people, well, you know they're in trouble. And I said, well, you've talked to them, haven't you? Oh, no, no, that's for you. That's for me. Did you see him in the fault? Yeah. What did you do? Well, you know, they'll have to figure it out. No, 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 no. That's not what the commander in chief of the church said. He told you and me, give a word. I knew of a sister recently, been missing this church, this and that, and I inquired of different ones. No, not interested. I went to them. I said, I don't get paid to keep my mouth shut about your Christian life. What are you doing, girl? I'm concerned. I'm concerned. You're neglecting the household of faith. You're straying. You're backsliding. You're going to get in trouble. You're going to do something you never dreamed you can do. Who do you think you are not to be deceived? Did you know what? You, on an average, are deceived about 100 times a day. Every morning I wake up, I got three liars in my life. I've got the flesh, I got the devil, and I've got the world. And if I don't watch out, I might get you. 
if you don't tell me what God is saying. I called my brother one time. I was discouraged. And I said, you know, I'm thinking about jumping off a bridge. And he came back with a great verse. He said, well, get a short bridge and it'll go easier. (laughs) I said, David, what verse did you have for that? So I don't call him too much when he's desperate. Who would you call if you were discouraged? Huh? A short bridge jump? No, no, no. We need a clear word. And that's what he's saying. It's desperate. Lives are dependent on us encouraging. And this is on Sunday. He says when you meet together as a body of believers, you ought to exhort each other to love and to good works. That's for sure. But here, this is a daily struggle because we're being lied to. We're being lied to. We're being lied to. Every day we're lied to. Lied, lied. What made you leave your wife? I believed a lie. What made you get into this problem? I believed a lie. Why did you get this out of Why did your heart get so hardened? I believed the lie. I listened to the tempter. I listened. I listened. I'm used to being lied to, and I bought it. And now I'm a product of lies, and your life is in shambles. Oh, dear child of God, we don't have time to look at Ephesians that says the word of God is your only weapon against the assault of Satan. He doesn't fear you. Even Michael, when he rebuked the devil, said the Lord rebuke you because he knew as an angel he couldn't get the devil to do anything. But he said, I'm going to tell you the Lord Jehovah that made you rebuke you, Satan. And he had to obey And he didn't get the body of Moses. The Lord rebuked thee, Satan. It is written, I will obey God. I don't want to make bread if God doesn't want me to eat bread. I'm hungry. The situation says, eat, meet my need. But God has not given me permission. I'm here to obey. I'd rather go hungry and be obedient than to immediately try to meet my own need. And step out of the will of God. Some of you might be wrestling with the will of God right now. You're being tempted. You're in the middle of a strategy of maybe sin. An attitude toward a believer. Towards a mate. Toward something going on. The spirit is critiquing you. Give this up. Flee that. And you've got this wrestling match. The word of God. And you cling to it. And stand in the evil day. Say, Satan, this is what the word of God says. I stake my life on it. And he finally said in 1 Corinthians 11, if you judge yourself, you will not be judged by the Lord. You know what that means? He's talking about the Lord's Supper. He says, if you will judge your attitude, he said, God won't have to kill you or make you sick like he did believers at Corinth. He wants us to judge our own attitude, our own behavior. And and he said, I'm going to judge the world, but I give you the privilege of judging yourself. I'd rather be alone with the Lord to admit I got a crazy thought, a wrong motive, than to have to have you come up and point it out. Because if we don't deal with it in private, it will come out in public. Jesus says what you do in a secret place 
will be shouted from the housetops. Makes you almost afraid to take a shower. So I'm going to expose you. I'm going to expose you. What are you? What are you? I saw you wink at that woman. I saw you cheat on that income tax. I saw you slight that brother. I am alive. You remember I'm alive and active, and my eyes go to and fro throughout the earth, searching the hearts of men and women. God knows. God knows where you are today. And let me say this. You've got a sufficient tool to grow in Christ, to defeat the enemy, and to be delivered from the lies, the lies that this culture and your heart tells you all the time. You are what God says you are. You're worth what God says you're worth. And this, the greatest thing Olstein says is his opening words. This is the Bible. I am what it says. Been, hey, Joel, you got it from your father. It's the best part of your whole sermon. That the Bible, the Bible is the absolute sufficient word for you to make the journey. If you don't get acquainted with it, you'll wash away. And you will, you will be a pygmy in the church of God. When we need soldiers, you'll become a casualty. Cling to his word. Cling to his word. Father, we're grateful you've given us a sure word. A sure word. Help us to know it, to love it, to meditate upon it. And do like James says, stand long enough in front of it for it to critique us and tell us we need to wash up. We need a cleansing of our conscience, our mouth, our behavior. Make us clean before you, Lord, not just in the blood, but by the cleansing effects of your word. We bless your name. Help us to cling to the word of God, no matter what the winds of time are blowing. The word of God will last Men are passing like the grass of the field, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And his people said, Amen. God bless you. Read your Bible, believe your Bible, and grow.